see you this morning. Sound great, by the way? You're welcome. It's hard to sound bad singing about Jesus, by the way. I'm just going to put that out there. If you're singing about Jesus, you sound great. Hey, if you're a guest of ours this morning, we are especially honored to have you with us. Glad that you chose to worship with us today at Bay Area. A lot of things going on, and uh, we're glad we're here to do it together. I want to start this morning with a story that maybe you've heard. A guy is filling up his car with gas in kind of a rural part of the country, and uh, as he's filling his car with gas, he notices on the other side of the road there's these two guys working. One guy's digging holes about three or four feet deep every 20 or 25 feet down the road. A second guy is a little bit behind him, coming along, filling up the holes that he's digging. And it kind of mystifies the guy as he's filling his gas can up. And finally, when he's finished, he walks across the road and says, excuse me, i got to find out what's going on here. I've been watching you guys, and it looks like you're digging a hole, and your buddy's coming along behind and filling it right back up. Now, who do you work for? The guy said, we work for the state of Florida. He said, well, you're not doing any, any good. You're, you're not accomplishing a thing. You're wasting the taxpayer's money. You're digging a hole. He's filling it up. The guy said, we're just doing our job. He said, what's your job? He said, well, you've got to understand. There used to be three of us. Me and John and another guy named Jerry. Well, my job is to dig holes. Jerry's job was to put a tree in the hole. John's job is then to fill in the hole. Because of budget cuts, Jerry got laid off last week. Now it's just me and John. you got to think about that one for a minute. It doesn't really get any funnier when you think about it. But I told that joke for a reason. Really two reasons. And the first is this. If we're not accomplishing anything, it doesn't really matter how well we work together. But secondly, and really more germane to our conversation this morning, especially when it comes to the church, it usually takes, it it almost always takes a team to get anything done. It takes different people with different passions and different talents and different abilities to get really anything done. Last week, we looked at the book of James. And we heard James uh, use the analogy of a mirror as he challenged us, not just to hear, not just to listen, not just to to read what God has to say, but actually do something with that information. I want to use this morning's lesson to to kind of help transition into some other thoughts. Uh, This isn't exactly a sermon series that we're in right now. We're headed towards a sermon series, uh, but there's a couple things I want to talk about first. I think there's things that are important to talk about and kind of set the groundwork for for a series that's coming up. And, And I'm going to begin with a passage that you're going to be very familiar with. It's found in one of my very favorite books of the Bible, the book of Philippians. Uh, This morning, actually, in the adult class here in the auditorium, Anil is going to be beginning uh, uh, a class in the book of Philippians. And probably my favorite passage from one of my favorite books is found in chapter 2. Listen to what Paul writes. He's talking to Christians here. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, 
but also to the interests of others. What Paul is telling these Christians, what Paul is saying is, if Jesus means anything to you, if His love means anything to you, if the Holy Spirit indwelling in you has had any effect on you, if there's any compassion, if there's any love, then be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Where did Paul get that information? Obviously, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but, but where did Paul get that thought? Where did Paul get the idea that it is so important for Jesus' followers to all be one? Well, he got it from Jesus. In fact, there was a time when Jesus prayed that very prayer. You know, as Christians, the words of Jesus are precious to us. They shape our lives. We find comfort and we find instruction and, and we find hope in the words of Jesus. And some of the very best words of Jesus were reserved for his father. And so we can learn an awful lot from taking a look at the prayers that Jesus prayed. And in one particular prayer, he prayed for me. And he prayed for you. And 2,000 years removed, you might not realize that, you might not even believe that, but there was a time and there was a prayer when Jesus was praying specifically for us. And what he prayed was something that, that he knew was going to be so important because he knew something was going to happen that was going to threaten our faith. And he knew that threat was so serious that he went to the Father on our behalf. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 17. We're going to spend really the rest of our time this morning in John chapter 17. Except for the first half of the first verse, all of John 17 is a prayer that Jesus prays. It is at the very end of his public ministry. We know the context of John 17. Those men that were with Jesus that night, the apostles, they did not know the context. They didn't know that the cross was, was very, very close. But Jesus prays. They're in an upper room with those men. Now, he's going to pray again in the Garden of Gethsemane, but this is going to be the last prayer that these men are going to hear Jesus pray before the cross. And it's a prayer that they're never going to forget. And the part of the prayer that we're going to focus on this morning is really within the larger prayer. I'd really encourage you to read John 17, the whole chapter. Um, it's really a powerful thing, but for time's sake, we're going to skip down to verse 11. John 17, verse 11. This is Jesus praying to the Father. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. These men are sitting and they're listening to Jesus pray, and Jesus prays to the Father, I will remain in the world no longer, but they're still in the world, and I'm coming to you. And I suspect it's probably about that point in the prayer when those men opened their eyes and kind of looked at each other. What did he just say? What, what did he just pray? Now, Jesus has already hinted and inferred and really just about came right out and say uh, this same evening that he was going to be leaving them, but they didn't quite grasp that. But now he is really clear in his prayer. I'm going to remain in the world no longer. But these men are. I'm leaving. They're not. That's what Jesus is saying. So this part of the prayer is specifically for them. Holy Father, Jesus prays, protect them. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. Jesus prayed that those men would have protection 
And he lets God know, and he lets those men know, lets us know just how important that protection is. By the power of your name. So that, okay, something's coming. Something important is about to be said. Jesus prayed, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Now, I've thought a lot, and I'm sure you have too, about this prayer that Jesus prays in John chapter 17. Again, we know the context. We know what's going on. And think of all the things that Jesus could have been praying for that evening. The last prayer that he's going to have with those men that they're going to hear before the cross. Think of all the things that Jesus could have possibly been praying for. But he asked God for unity. That's what was on his heart. That they may be one as we are one. Jesus knew that a time was coming, and it was coming pretty quickly, when he wasn't going to be physically present with them. He wasn't going to be there with them when they start doing church together. And Jesus knew human nature. And Jesus knew, okay, things are going to happen. Problems are going to come up. Tensions are going to flare. You know, somebody's going to feel like they are going to impose their will on someone else. Someone's going to be misunderstood. Someone's going to get their feelings hurt. Someone's going to say something. Someone's going to do something. And these people might not be able to handle that. Now, up until this point, Jesus had always been there to handle those things. Jesus had always been with them. So he kind of kept everybody, you know, where they needed to be. When uh, when they started arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus was there to say, okay, take a step back, okay? Let me explain something to you. When they were asked, you know, who, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus was there. I'll take this one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, he was there to answer the hard questions when they were criticized for not fasting or not observing the Sabbath, Jesus was there to step in and explain to people why his followers didn't behave quite like everybody other, all the other rabbis' followers might have behaved. But now, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be here anymore. And they are hearing, he's not going to be here anymore. And he knew that there was a tremendous threat to these individuals that were hearing this prayer, he knew there was a tremendous threat to the, the kingdom. Now, he, he spends so much time trying to teach us how to live in the kingdom. And he knew that one of the biggest threats to life in the kingdom, one of the biggest threats that his followers were going to face was the problem of me. Not me, Tim Stutzman, but me. Now, you. Us. Us wanting our own way. Us sort of demanding to be heard. Us saying, you know, I kind of demand to, to, to have my voice heard. I've been here longer than anyone else. I give more money than you do. I've memorized more scripture than they have. So I get to decide what color the carpet is. And that's kind of the threat, right? I want to be heard. Now, I want to be sure that you don't mishear me. In this prayer, Jesus is not compromising truth. Be sure you understand that. His prayer is for unity, but he is in no way compromising truth. If you know anything about Jesus, you know Jesus never compromised truth. He was the one who said there's a, there's a narrow way that leads to salvation. Not a lot of people are going to find that way. There's a broad road that leads to destruction. 
Now that road is pretty full. Jesus is very clear. There's a right and there's a wrong. There's light and there's darkness. There's obedience and there's sin. Jesus is not uh, soft-selling truth in, either, in any way. He never compromised truth. In fact, it was Jesus who would say, the very word that I've spoken will judge them on that last day. So Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 isn't just all the followers have some kind of a kumbaya moment that they all just join hands and we know whatever you think is okay, whatever I think is okay, as long as we all feel good. That is not his prayer at all. In fact, Jesus will say in verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is not compromising truth. What he is talking about is me demanding my way. And all through his ministry, again, he tries to tell people what life in this movement is going to look like. And he's trying to tell us over and over again that life in the kingdom is not going to look like what you think life in the kingdom might look like. And Jesus is teaching that in this new movement, in the kingdom, the me has got to be turned into a we. If this thing is really going to work, if this thing is really going to have any kind of effect, then all of the me's have to be melded into a we. And Jesus knew how difficult a thing that was to accomplish. Because we've all got our own preferences. We've all got our own opinions. We've all got our own comfort levels. We all have the things that are important to us and things that, that aren't important to us. Jesus knows how important it was going to be for his followers to disregard some of the me issues for the bigger we. You know, Scripture talks about this over and over and over again. We know Romans and Corinthians where it talks about the church being one body. The book of Acts, we talk about the church being one in heart and mind. Peter, who was there that night, heard this prayer of Jesus, said, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love his brothers, be compassionate, be humble. Jesus knew that the greatest threat to we is always me. We're all me-centered. Now, I don't mean that we're selfish. I'm not really saying that we're self-centered. I'm just saying we're me-centered. All of us are. We just are. Because we all come from different places. We have different backgrounds. We have different experiences. We have different personality types. We have, we have just different feelings. We're different. You have a, a perspective. Sometimes it's not my perspective. You have a perception. I have a perception of things. Maybe right, maybe wrong, maybe somewhere in between. But you've got to realize my perception is my reality. And I have to realize that your perception, that's your reality. So Jesus looks at these disciples. He knows them better than they know themselves. He loves these guys. He's going to die for these guys, really in just a couple hours. So Jesus' prayer is, God, I want you to help them. I want you to protect them. I want you to help them to be one as we are one. But that's not the end of Jesus' prayer. He doesn't just pray for those disciples. Notice who else Jesus includes in his prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, 
may they also be, be in us. Jesus is also praying for everyone that's going to, to believe in him because of the message of those men in the room. Jesus is saying, the people that they teach, I want them to be one. And then the people that they teach, I want them to be one. And then the people that they teach, I want them to be one. Until somebody taught you. And somebody taught me. And Jesus' prayer here in John 17 is that, that all of us would be one. That all of us, that's Jesus' prayer for us, is that we would be of one heart and one mind and one purpose. That they may all be one. Just how close did Jesus want us to be? Pretty close. As you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Jesus wanted us, his prayer to the Father was for us to be as close to each other as he was to the Father. Now that goes beyond my ability to explain or quite honestly, to even comprehend. But that's Jesus' prayer. That's how close He wanted us to be. Notice how verse 21 ends. So that. There's that phrase again. Get ready. Something's coming. Something important. Jesus is about to make it very clear. I'm not talking about unity for unity's sake. I'm not saying that I want you to be one so that everyone is affirmed. And so everyone leaves feeling that, wow, I feel so wonderful being here today and you know those are my people, which is wonderful. Jesus is saying, about to say, I want you to be one. I want them to be one so that. There's a reason for the unity. And sometimes I think we miss the reason for the unity. Sometimes we focus so much on unity, which is good and right, that we really miss something very important that Jesus is about to petition the Father for. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray that for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I want them to be one, so that the world would believe that you sent me. Do you realize that our unity testifies to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Our unity, our ability to be one, testifies to Jesus being divine. Our unity can cause people to believe. And our disunity can cause people not to believe. Which raises the stakes, doesn't it? I mean, now it's not just a matter of how I feel and if I get my way. Now it quite possibly might be a matter of someone's salvation. How well we can do church and do life together. I heard a story about a a mom who was on the back porch reading a book while her eight-year-old son was playing in the yard. and He was playing church. And he had a Bible and he was reading the Bible to the cat. And he was singing songs to the cat. And she thought, that is so cute. There he is playing church and the cat's listening to songs and the cat's listening to him reading the Bible. That's so cute. She went back to reading her book and then she heard this tremendous ruckus out in the yard and she looked out and her little boy was sticking the cat in a bucket of water. She said, hey, you can't put a cat in water. Cats hate to be in water. You know that. Let the cat go. Little boy said, well, he should have thought of that before he joined my church. 
You know, as Christians, we often get criticized for having an agenda. You guys all have an agenda. You're up to something. If you're checking us out today, now maybe first, second time you've been here, you want to know what we're all about. I want to be really clear on this. We have an agenda. We most definitely have an agenda right here at Bay Area. We're here for a reason. We're here for a purpose. Our agenda is Jesus. That's the agenda. The agenda is on the screen behind us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our agenda is to go into all the world and make disciples. To baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To teach them everything that, the, that Christ, Jesus has commanded. That's our agenda. Why would you want to be part of a church that didn't have an agenda? Jesus' prayer in John 17. His inference is, people aren't going to hear that message. People aren't going to get that unless my people are one. Unless my people are united. They're going to miss the message. They're going to miss the good news. They're going to miss the gospel. So our sense of community, our spirit of unity, the stakes are high. Our agenda is to lead people to Jesus. That's the agenda. But if we're not acting with one heart, and one spirit, and one mind, and one purpose, nobody's going to listen. Nobody's going to look at us and say, Oh, I want what you have. Not if we can't get along with each other. Not if we can't be one in purpose. One in heart. Nobody's going to see Jesus. Instead, they're going to see something very different. Last week, I used a mirror to, to make a point that uh, James was talking about. You probably thought somebody just left this up here. Talked about a mirror, looking into a mirror, and the perfect law of freedom. I'm going to use a mirror again, but it's a different mirror. This time, it's a, it's a broken mirror. It's a shattered mirror. When you look into a shattered mirror, it's very different. When you look into a shattered mirror, what you see is distorted. What you see is off. You know, last week I talked about looking into a mirror to, to, for, for us to see. I'm using this broken mirror to kind of illustrate what other people see. Our agenda, our purpose is to reflect Jesus. To, to bring people to Jesus, to introduce people to Jesus. God's will for us is for our lives to be a reflection of Jesus. But if we're fractured, and if we're broken, and if we're not together, you're going to get a very distorted image. You're going to get a very distorted image of Jesus. You're not going to see. People aren't going to see the Jesus who is fascinating. They're not going to see the Jesus that they can't take their eyes off of. Instead, they're going to get little bits and pieces of Jesus. Because we're fractured. And we're messed up. You know, what's tragic about that, that mirror isn't just that it's ugly. It is kind of ugly. is isn't just that it's a little bit disturbing, which it is a little bit disturbing. Isn't just that it's troubling. It is a little bit troubling. What is tragic about a broken mirror like that is it's useless. It's useless to be used for what it was intended to be used for. When we become broken and fractured, we fail to fulfill our purpose. And we're really useless at, at pointing people to Jesus. Because people aren't going to look. And people aren't going to listen. 
and nobody's going to care. And Jesus knew that. He knew how important it was for us to reflect a real version and a real image of a perfect, loving Savior. So listen how he ends his prayer. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you've sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. The very reason for our unity is Jesus. Jesus is who ties us to the Father. And Jesus is who ties us to each other. What do you and I have in common? The only thing that matters. Jesus Christ. That's what we have in common. Our unity is built around Jesus. We unite around Jesus. We don't unite around a building. We don't unite around programs as important as they may be. And we don't unite around social causes as worthy as they might be. And we don't, believe it or not, even unite around the Bible as precious and as perfect as it is because the Bible points us to Jesus. The Bible teaches us about the Son of God. That's who we unite around. That's where we find our unity. That's where we find our oneness. Unity happens when Jesus is the Lord of your life and my life. Disunity happens when he's not. I think it might really be that simple. If Jesus is the Lord of my life, and he's the Lord of your life, we can get through anything. If Jesus is the Lord of our lives, we can work through any situation, any problem that we might face. But if he's not, we're going to be a whole lot like this shattered mirror. And people are going to see us like, hmm, something's off. Something's not right. There's, just, there's something a little bit that makes me feel uneasy. No, that's, that's all. That's, that's not a clear picture that I'm seeing. A lot of things to be praying for right now. A lot of things within this church to be praying for. There's people who are hurting. There's people who, who desperately need healing. People who need grace. You look at our country. Oh my goodness. So much to be prayerful about. And I, I challenge you, and I know you've taken that challenge, and I, I know you well enough to know that you are prayerful. But I'm going to challenge you this morning to be sure and be including in your prayer time some of the same things that Jesus prayed for. Again, he realized just how valuable this information was and how important it was. The need for his people, his church, his body to be one in Christ, just as Christ and God are one. Look very closely at the prayers that are written in red. The words of Jesus to the Father. So that we might be brought to complete unity in Jesus Christ. So that the reason for our unity, so that the world will know that He's the Son of God. I hope that's your, your continual prayer. And it's going to take that, by the way. You know, being one in heart and soul and spirit, it doesn't just happen. It takes the Holy Spirit to make that happen. So I pray that you continue to leave room for the Holy Spirit to work in your life, in my life, in our lives. That together we really try to reflect a true image of Jesus Christ. We're going to pick up on this next week, but for today, 
We've got a song that's been chosen as a song of encouragement.